So first we establish a posture that is stable and upright. Alert, but also as relaxed as possible. And then we begin to bring our attention to bodily sensations. Noticing what's actually happening in the body. And we do this simply to be aware, to wake up to the present moment not to correct anything or fix something. This might feel like we are getting uh, close to ourselves in a way that we don't often, or in a way that is uh, unique to meditation practice or some other kind of intentional body-based practice. So we're just noticing the breath or areas of tension or contraction. Or we are aware of the natural experience of gravity, the way the body makes contact and compresses into the surface beneath it. So before any kind of liberating insight, we wake up to the simple fact that this body is here. And this is not an idea, but a a direct experience. We have a felt sense of the body. Tonight, this felt sense of the body, this mindfulness of body is a foundation for our practice. We are rooted or grounded in bodily experience. We have a place to return to if we get confused or distracted. Or if we get unsettled. Keeping a light touch on the body, keeping some of the awareness resting in bodily experience. I'd like to invite you to reflect on your life. Specifically, with the question, 
What do I regret? Is there an event that you would prefer to have gone differently? Is there something you said to someone that you wish you could have back? Maybe you felt slighted or taken advantage of, and perhaps you even were. And yet the response was at a level such that you know that you caused harm. And somehow now in hindsight you realize that harm done is rarely justified, if at all. Or maybe there was an action at some point Can you specify a moment when you were unskillful? Even just a, even just a moment. It, you don't have to reach into the bottom of the regret barrel for the hardest thing to integrate. Maybe that's actually too much for tonight. Could be something like, maybe there was a time you could have been more generous and you, with honesty, are aware that you held back. Maybe there was a particular relationship where more clarity, more directness, more <coughs> honesty, more honesty would have better served the integrity of the relationship in the love you had for that person. Maybe it's difficult to come up with a regret or an unskillful action. And if that is true, you can rest with appreciation and gladness in the blameless mind. The heart that is free from accusation, worry, if you are able to recall some regret, something you would like to have done different, some specific event or unskillful action, first See if you can notice where you feel this in your body. If you let your attention rest on the memory, allowing yourself to connect with that experience, does it leave an imprint somewhere in the physical body? that you can feel right now. 
in the throat or the torso or the belly or the shoulders. Sometimes when we think about regrets or unskillful actions, we talk about the feelings that are associated with them. I would like to encourage you to try not to resist the feelings. And to try not to resort to thinking about them. How do you even know you're having a feeling? Does the feeling have a location in the body? Not resisting the feelings or the bodily sensations. We open and make space for them. To receive them, to simply feel their presence. Both without asking anything of them. nor pushing them away. And we breathe. We notice the sounds Feel our feet on the floor and our hips on the meditation cushion. Again, we notice the breath. The long, full inhalation as the belly and torso rise. In the exhalation, allowing the belly and torso to fall back toward the spine. And next I will share with you three short phrases Please don't feel like you have to uh, do very much with these phrases, but rather just allow them to wash over you, hear what you hear in them without analyzing them. Noticing, however, if the phrases themselves evoke any feelings. I forgive myself for what I have done, intentionally or unintentionally. I understand this action 
in body, speech, or mind, was born of confusion or suffering. I continue to cultivate a virtuous life and any unskillful actions do not separate me from that intention. I forgive myself for what I have done. intentionally or unintentionally. I understand this action in body, speech, or mind was born of confusion and suffering. Confusion or suffering were their cause. I continue to cultivate a virtuous life and any unskillful actions do not separate me from that intention. I forgive myself for what I have done. this unskillful action that was intentional or unintentional regardless I forgive myself I understand this action that I've done with my body, speech, or mind was born of confusion or suffering. It is knowing that the cause of this action was confusion or suffering that allows me to forgive myself. I continue to cultivate a virtuous life and any unskillful actions do not separate me from that intention. forgive myself.
I understand unskillful actions are born of confusion and suffering. I continue to cultivate a virtuous life. I forgive myself. I understand unskillful actions are born of confusion or suffering. Fault is not personal. It can only be conditional. I continue to cultivate a virtuous life. Continuing for some time to recite these shortened phrases over to yourself, or if you like, to continue to recite any one of the phrases if they seem particularly relevant or useful. I forgive myself. I understand unskillful actions are born of confusion or suffering. I continue to cultivate a virtuous life.
forgive myself. I understand unskillful actions are born of confusion or suffering. I continue to cultivate a virtuous life and any unskillful actions do not separate me from that intention. Thank you for your practice. Please do uh, whatever you like to be more comfortable, if you can. tonight about both virtue and forgiveness as the meditation practice uh, indicated and explored. Uh, raise your hand if you're new to forgiveness practice, if you haven't done a forgiveness practice before. Okay. A couple people. I want to start by sharing a, a story of the Buddha and a young monk uh, from a sutta called the uh, Gilana Sutta. And in this particular story, the Buddha is called upon to visit with a, uh, a, a new monk. And this person has not been in the order of monastics very long, but the Buddha quickly rushes to their aid and uh, did so uh, because the Buddha was told that the young monk is, has grown quite ill and there's some indication that uh, perhaps this monk is near the end of their, end of their life. So in, in a sense the Buddha goes to offer some, some departing Council, maybe doing some kind of uh, pastoral care or ministry or chaplaincy or what we might call hospice work before there was before there was any kind of hospice, anything that we called hospice. And the, the Buddha, upon arriving, says to the monk something. Uh, I think interesting. He says, you know, I hope you don't have any anxiety. And I hope you don't have any remorse. So, in this question, we, we see one of the Buddha's central concerns, which is that if we don't develop virtue, if we uh, don't increase our capacity to be skillful and in turn, if we don't overcome habits of harm causing, uh, at the end of our life there might be a unique kind of suffering that is hard to hold, that is hard to, that is hard to integrate. You've heard me, many of you have heard me talk quite a lot about these themes. So, in addition to virtues supportive role 
in the development of wisdom on the Buddhist Eightfold Path, we develop virtue, we uh, try to be as skillful as we can, we become interested in certain precepts, we learn to protect our mind and our actions, uh, so that we have more ease in our own daily life, and again, so that at the end of our life, uh, which by the way, is a certain future reality for all of you, for me too. Uh, when we uh, die, we are said to be uh, more inclined to be without anxiety, without regret, without remorse, without fear. So our practice of virtue is both to have as much well-being today as possible, and to have as little regret, worry, anxiety, remorse, fear at the end of our life. <clears throat> so, of course, you know, the Buddha posed a question, so the young monk replies, and he reports that he does, in fact, have uh, anxiety, remorse, and fear. Uh, and furthermore, he has a very significant amount of it. So what's interesting is that the Buddha seems unconcerned given his uh, stance and the role of virtue on the Buddhist path. He's both unconcerned and also perhaps uh, compassionate. Uh, and he challenges the monk, saying, I hope you can't fault yourself with regard to your virtue. I hope you can't fault yourself with regard to your virtue. So, uh, this statement, I think, by the Buddha, for some of us, might, and rightly so, cause some pause, uh, or it might encourage some reflection. There's a little bit of a koan quality. Um, the Buddha, though his teachings put an emphasis on virtue, is here saying that he hopes the young monk doesn't fault himself with regard to his virtue. So, is this irony? Uh, is this contradiction? Or is this a place, perhaps, to glean directly some insight, some understanding? It seems to be a turning point in the conversation for the ill and distressed monk who appears to have some kind of a revelation. And he turns to the Buddha and he explains that he has <coughs> undoubtedly been able to develop some virtue. He has undoubtedly been able to develop some virtue. My own take on this is that the young monk may have been overly focused on occasions in his life when he was not skillful, failing perhaps to take into account fully the fact of his underlying determination toward a virtuous life. That was clear given his position as a monastic. <clears throat> in that, in fact, he had, as a result of his work so far, improved his virtue. Uh, this reminds me how some of us are more inclined, easily inclined, uh, to see our own faults, right? To uh, see our suffering, for example, while finding it harder to see the purity of so many of our intentions in embracing our skillful actions in the times we are free of suffering. So the mind... Uh, for some of us, is inclined to focus, you know, it's an oversimplification to say focused on the negative, but rather, uh, and this can be highlighted through Buddhist practice, to really notice the dukkha, to, to really notice the things we're not doing that we, that we maybe could be if we were a better practitioner, if we were a better Buddhist, if we were a better Christian, if we were a better colleague, if we were a better partner, if we were a better friend, etc., etc. 
So if our mind is inclined in this way, um, we're, we're, we're perhaps not seeing the purity of so many of our intentions. Even if the outcome of those intentions is not always as beneficial as we might like, can we see the goodness that underlies them? And so if it, if it is harder to, to really see and take stock of the purity of these intentions, it might also be hard to embrace the skillful actions. It might be hard to see the times that we are free of suffering. One of the teachings in this story is that the young monk's attachment to the events of his life may have become a form of clinging. Uh, likewise, he became, at the time of his dying, identified with his anxiety, remorse, and fear. So these mind states of worry, regret, fear, rose to the surface. They were the young monk's predominant experience, and he felt as if they had become him. This was who he was. Right? You can understand why this would be distressing at the end of one's life. Um, perhaps that feels like we've failed in some way. The Buddha was trying, I think, to prompt him to see this attachment and this identification and to recognize that if he could only drop the identification that his mind would be in less of a tangle. Just as a side note, though, I don't have uh, anything to cite or any quotations to share. The sutta goes on to explain, and, and the uh, monk gives a, a, almost a short sermon. The, the monk, uh, after this revelation, says to the Buddha, your teachings did not ask us, something to the effect of, your teachings did not ask us to perfect virtue, but to strive toward virtue and to become dispassionate toward objects and events. So the young monk is, is putting the teachings together at this difficult time in his life. So, there is a story or a narrative uh, that we often hold about ourselves, and this seduces us. Often, in the lives that we live, and it might also do that at the end of our life. So when we buy into this, uh, when we get seduced and buy into these stories, we feel that they define us. Right? In a sense, we come to know ourselves by these stories. Alternatively, and this I think is where uh, practice is pointing, alternatively, there's the possibility of a direct experience of our life. The sensory quality of thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Direct experience rather than a narrative filled with concepts and ideas and interpretations. It's this sensory world when met with awareness and dispassion in seeing its transience that allows us to not define ourselves in any lasting or fixed way. I, I want to pause here to point out that there's a specific question that I'm reflecting on in the formation of this Dharma talk. And that question is, or maybe it's a, a group of questions that are related. How can we forgive ourselves 
at times when we may feel we have been less skillful than we would have liked, while remaining committed to both virtue and accountability, and using such occasions to further the goal of freedom. Many of us are, if not all of us, aware of certain prominent Buddhist ideals. Already mentioned many times tonight, skillfulness. Uh, Being awake. Being kind. uh, Being compassionate. All of which are uh, contributing to us not causing suffering ourselves and others. So we practice meditation and we reflect on the teachings um, to understand the causes of our unskillfulness right? so that we can decrease them in the future. As through practice our insight develops we become aware of unhelpful and unwholesome mind states while at the same time we cultivate helpful and wholesome mind states, which are latent, right? So we're, in a sense, we're, we're nurturing the, the goodness and the skillfulness that is within us, but not fully mature yet. Right? It's not fully developed. Obviously, this is beneficial. Uh, it is filled with the stuff of wholesome intentions. Meditation practice is filled with wholesome intentions. Sitting on your couch at night and reading a Dharma book is filled with wholesome intentions. Doing step work if you're in recovery and are using that system is filled with good intentions. Coming here on Thursday night is filled with good intentions. Volunteering in the Sangha is filled with good intentions. Yet, if we're not careful, sometimes these very pure intentions can become their own source of suffering in our lives. If we cannot make space within ourselves for the ways and occasions we have not met these ideals, we can develop patterns of shame, and hatred. So what of the modes of unskillfulness? What of the modes of... Uh, what are the sources of regret? Um, the teachings tell us that they are three. Body, speech, and mind. These are the three modes of action. The three... Uh, ways that we interact with and intersect and create the world that we live in with one another. Right? Uh, We act with our body. Right? We hug people or we push them. Right? We give people space or we crowd them. We look at them kindly or we look at them fiercely. We act with our body in both subtle uh, and not at all subtle ways. We relate through speech. We use our words in a particular kind of way that is comforting and conducive to safety or conducive to fear, hostility. And we are all subject to the patterns of our own mind, the actions of thought, which are themselves either wholesome or unwholesome, right? Grounded in kindness and wisdom or hatred, jealousy, etc., etc. 
There are four reasons why we might be unskillful in any of these three modes of being at any time. We are told also in the teachings that these are greed, hatred, delusion, and fear. The first three, greed, hatred, and delusion, sometimes referred to as the three root poisons. So what does this have to do with forgiveness? Well, the point is that forgiveness is possible when wisdom, kindness, and compassion come together. And specifically, that forgiveness is possible as an expression of clear seeing. Understanding that the, co- that the underlying causes of our actions are, as the meditation instructions say, born of confusion and suffering. Knowing, as the meditation instructions say, that they are born of confusion and suffering, I forgive myself. And that I have acted at times unskillfully does not negate the wholesomeness of my intentions. So what are we focused on, is the question. How do we see ourselves? Wisdom recognizes the complexity and impersonality of the causes and conditions that led to the unskillful behavior. From this perspective, we could say from the vantage point of not-self, anatta, our actions are not our fault. However, we continue to take responsibility for them. That's the virtue. To say that they are not our fault is to account for the ways our vision and actions are sometimes obscured in life prior to wisdom being fully developed. We don't always have right view, and we can't. We're not always acting from generosity, kindness, and wisdom. We can't. While to claim responsibility for our unskillful actions is to be accountable to our own experience, to allow ourselves to feel both within our mind and body the impact of our decisions and to weigh their skillfulness against those feelings. So wisdom sees the unskillfulness is born of confusion and suffering, yet we stay in touch with the outcome of those actions and feel them directly as a way to register. Was it skillful? Was it unskillful? What is the impact on me? Right? And we feel, ah, the dukkha. Right? So accountability starts with being uh, willing to stay with one's own experience when we cause harm. Kindness is the understanding that we will benefit from being happy and that our happiness benefits others, including those we may have accidentally harmed. So we don't do ourselves or anyone good for continuing to degrade ourselves or beat ourselves up for the unskillful action. We will try to become more skillful, and one of the ways we will do that is is to take an interest in realizing our own inherent goodness, 
rather than the ways we fail to meet our high standards. And thirdly, compassion is the kind attitude or forgiveness directed toward the blame or pain that we feel. So forgiveness then is an expression of compassion. We realize that we suffer, whether just a little or quite profoundly, and we extend toward that pain a willingness to feel it, not turning away alongside the wish or hope for its alleviation. So I'll pause there and see if uh, there's any questions or conversation that might be helpful.